this is the run recap. Is this your second marathon or half marathon or is it? Or this is my third. Over the years. Your third. Yeah, no, this is my third. So I did this one. This one last year was my first. So this same race last year was my first. Okay. I thought that was the case. I wasn't sure. Yeah. And then I ran one in the um, early spring too. So I ran one in April. Which one was that? I don't remember that one. I did. It's called the split. And so it's one that takes off. Actually, it's a really, really enjoyable course. It's an out and back, which for, which I, we've talked about this several times, but I absolutely hate that. Um, right. <laughs> but four half marathon was kind of cool. Cause you're like, Oh, I just go, okay. So I ran Bloomsday and I'm going to turn around. I'll run Bloomsday again. Now I'm done. Yeah. So yeah, that makes sense. So I kind of liked that actually for that distance was, was, was pretty good. Cause yeah, it just broke that down. I'm like, Oh, and I've already ran this. So I'll just go run it again. That was no problem. Cause at mile seven for a half marathon, you're, it, that, you're not in bad shape at all. You're feeling great at mile seven. You you are in bad shape at all? Yeah, right. <laughs> if you if you are trained for a half marathon, then uh, I I would be dying. <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, if you are trained, I'm not trained great for one right now. I'm trained okay, but uh, yeah, 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 but not not like I was last year. But if but if you are in that training where like oh if you can run eleven twelve miles comfortably, then a mile seven, yeah, you're not hurting, you know. And, uh, and strategic, what I do strategically is like, I do try real hard to not push anything for a while until I know how hard I still have left to push. Mm-hmm. So just cause it's just so long, I'm out, you know, you're running for an hour and a half at least. Well, that's where an out and back would actually work pretty well because you, mm-hmm. yeah, you, you know exactly the markers to expect. Yep. And any, any uphill you ran, you know, okay, I can use this downhill next time, you know, and you can, mm-hmm. you can just kind of adjust with those things where, you know, and yeah. And on that particular course, that was, it's just barely, it follows uh, the Centennial Trail from uh, downtown to, uh, let's see, was it? Yeah, it was right around downtown somewhere. I don't remember exactly where it started. And then, oh yeah, from right inside um, Riverfront Park and then follows the Centennial yeah. Trail from there out to, uh, out to Minion back. Oh, okay. Minnehaha. Yeah. 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 So, or John H. Shields Park is what it's officially called. Oh, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about that. Actually, I think the turnaround is actually Boulder Beach, but, you know, we just call the whole area Mini, so. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, your your training for this one was, like we've talked about, not not ideal, less than, than you would have preferred. And then I saw a, a post in the text yesterday that it, um, that your body was feeling pretty destroyed. And so <laughs> take me through what, what did it feel like? Well, this is the, this was probably when it came down to the end of it, it was probably the second hardest I've ever pushed at anything ever, uh, to, to just complete it. Like, so, um, yeah, so it was it was really really hard because I'm not I'm not quite trained right. I'm I'm okay, you know. I've been running like I've probably been averaging three days a week, and uh, and that's just not enough to go at the speed that I really want to go at. And so so I'm not where I'd like to be as far as um, hitting the goals I would like for this distance or for this race. And I really wanted a PR this year. I wanted to be un, I wanted to be under an hour thirty. And uh, yeah. 
and that was just, and I knew ahead of time, like, I'm just not in that shape. That's not going to be possible, you know, and that's okay. So just, but still go out and enjoy it. And uh, so anyway, cool thing about this course is the first seven miles are all at about a 1% downhill grade. So you can't tell by looking at it that's downhill. Like it looks, it looks totally flat, but your pace yeah. is just faster than you think it should be, and you feel fine. So, uh, and, and not downhill anywhere near enough. Again, you can't even tell it's downhill. It just technically is. So, like, I think I lost about uh, somewhere between 30 to 50 feet of elevation uh, every mile. <laughs> nice. and just, yeah, that's, that's yeah, barely noticeable or not noticeable. Yeah. It's not noticeable. You're just not getting as tired as you should. That's about it. Yeah. So anyway, so that makes it really fun because then you can, you know, those every stride is just a little bit easier and just a little bit smoother. And um, anyway, so as is just kind of the case right now because, like you mentioned before, you know, little kids and stuff. So then your sleep is horrible, you know. And uh, so I had a rough night's sleep the night before. So I just woke up just just tired, you know, not feeling great with all that stuff. But got up early, got my coffee. Got my Danish. That's that's like my pre-race thing. I do that three hours before running. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, and then, uh, yeah, I have a few other supplements and some, you know, dry scoop pre- pre-workout right before. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Which I still need oh, to do. Man. I still have to do that about an hour before uh, because yeah. pre-workout is also still a diuretic. So, you know, got to make sure that, um, that oh, does that hit you, know, you that way? Not very bad, but a little bit. And if I got to run for an hour and a half, I got to make sure all that's taken care of before I start. You know, yeah, yeah. I've never, stopping mid run for that. that with pre workout. Yeah, it's not significant. I think anything with a high amount of caffeine does that. Can do that a little mm-hmm. bit. So caffeine itself nice. does that a little bit. So anyway, so it's not a big deal. You just kind of have to be extra careful about it when you're going to run for that long. You know, if it was even an hour or less of a run, it's like, well, you can just kind of make do or, you know, kind of just fight through it. But an hour and a half, like, no, if you've got to take care of a problem, you've got to take care of a problem. Right. So my training, yes, I followed a basic training plan uh, for this and then just modified it throughout the week based on what I could actually do with the time I had and, mm-hmm. um, and those things. And so... Um, and probably what I'll do next year or sometime soon, if I can get my sleep better, then I should probably start doing morning runs regularly, you know, get up at six o'clock, get my run in then rather than hoping I can fit it in later in the day. Oh man. So yeah, that's the worst. I hate, I hate having to think about a workout or a run throughout the day. No, like having it hang over your head. That's just mm-hmm. it, the odds are it's not going to happen. Or even if I'm disciplined enough at that time where it's going to happen, I just it I hate it so much. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just miserable. But uh, but also I think that, you know like anything else, you can get used to anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it is you know and so but yeah I but I hate running in the morning, and I really like running at three in the afternoon. That's just my favorite. But uh, yeah. you know, that just, just, it does, doesn't practically fit into my work day anymore. It doesn't practically fit into really anything. Like that's just, that time needs, <laughs> needs to be used for a lot of other more important things right now. So 6am is probably what I need to do. And, I, and if I can have more, uh, full rest nights, I'll probably do that. So yeah. Should I walk you through the, the race? Yeah, let's hear it. 
Okay, so with this race, here's uh, the way it starts. I describe it slightly a little bit, but the course layout is you have about seven miles of 1% downhill grade. Then you have um, a pretty good hill, not a hard hill, but you have a um, an out and back that's uh, about a mile and a half long that goes up a hill, comes back down the hill, and then you're back on the trail, back to that 1% grade again. And you do that all the way until um, – mile uh um right at mile 12 then you start to come into kellogg and then the last half mile is a pretty tough uphill into downtown kellogg at the finish line okay so um anyway so the way that worked for me yeah took off and just felt you know again just got in a nice stride got in place i should be in and everything and it was just cruising along and then my, uh, um, and then I've got my GPS running to my headphones. So it's telling me what my splits are every half mile. So got that going. Are and you, at, pause, pause that real quick. Are you? Yeah. So you got your headphones on. Do you listen to anything during races? Yeah. Yeah. I sure do. Yeah. What so do do? I. Well, so to go with that, then I I kind of deprive myself of a lot of those things when I train. And I save listening to music that that would increase energy. I save those for either races or like or speed days. But oh, on my slow okay. days, so I try I try not to do that. Gotcha. So when you're training, you don't you you do listen to stuff, and but you just don't do the type of music that you would listen to during a race. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. I do books on tape, podcasts, things like that. Is what I do on mm-hmm. normal training days. And then on a speed day, then I'll then I'll put my normal running playlist uh, in. Interesting. So, well, this is what I was listening to a podcast by Andrew Huberman talking about mm-hmm. increasing your baseline dopamine. Yeah. And basically saying like, if every day when you work out, if you're taking any kind of type of stimulant, so mm-hmm. any kind of caffeine pre-workout and everything, if you do that and you listen to your music, which also increases dopamine and you do all these things that increase your dopamine, if you're doing it every single day, your baseline lowers because you're constantly right. boosting it. So uh, so after hearing that, I'm like, okay, well, I want it to boost hard on days when I need it, basically once a week. And mm-hmm. the rest of the time, it's good to deprive myself of it so I can increase my overall baseline. So Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So anyway, so, I, so I've been following that pattern, and I think it's really useful because – I do find then on race days, then I do get a little extra boost, a little extra energy. Not only do you get it just because also you're just around a bunch of people. That always does it, you know, an actual race, the excitement of doing something you've been planning for. All those things help boost that energy that you don't, you know, that you don't usually get. And right. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's felt very, very helpful uh, for me. So I'm anyway, I'm very so, yeah, so I got what uh, what's on your playlist, but we'll get into that later. But we'll just let's, let's finish <laughs> the race first. Okay, sounds good. Um, okay, so I uh, so anyway, yeah, I take off and uh, and ran my first half mile. You know, first half mile, my pops in my headphones and says, you know, that I'm right at six thirty pace. I'm like, okay, well, that's too fast, but I'm still breathing through my nose. Like, I'm not even. So, nope, this first part I think is a little bit steeper downhill, like just a little bit more, because I'm just, I'm just floating, like everything feels just fine. I'm just going to hang out here. I'm going to ease up a little bit, but I'm going to hang out here. Then uh, finish my first mile, still at the same pace, still at 630, 
And then after that, I kind of gotten into the position I want to be in. So then I backed off uh, very purposely and, you know, down to mm-hmm. just right at seven flat. And I, I wanted to okay. stay right at seven flat because I knew I've got hills coming up and all of that. And I thought, well, I'm going to do the next two or three miles right at seven minute pace. So I uh, did that. The other thing that boosted energy, it was really fun, was that uh, on this race course, at almost every mile, not exactly at the mile marker, but near the mile marker, there are um, basically trailheads for this, uh, you know, bike path trail. Mm-hmm. So, so Christy and the kids um, drove to basically every mile and watched me go by, which gave them something fun to do of, hey, let's look for yeah. dad. You know, and you're on runners. They see me go by, and then we got to jump in the car and try and get to the next one before he gets there. So oh, that's fun. Anyway, yeah. So that was also like, man, that was a really fun energy boost, and especially where I knew ahead of time, like I'm not going for a PR because that's literally not possible for me right now. I'm not good yeah. shape. So I'm gonna go have fun with this race. You know, I'm gonna run at an yeah. enjoyable pace, and I'm gonna go, and I'm gonna do good, but I'm not. You know, I'm just gonna. I'm just going to go where it feels really fun and nice and then, you know, and then keep looking for my kids and stuff. And so mm-hmm. gave them high fives that basically every time I saw them and yeah, it was just a blast. So, and that was, and I didn't realize how much, if you look at that from uh, a physical or, you know, physiological standpoint there, it, um, you know, as far as boosting energy, uh, that had a great effect for that. That was really, really fun. So, oh, and even yeah. just to know I that totally my, well, yeah, and you know how much energy you get from watching your kid enjoy something. And, yeah, right. and they were they were stoked every time. So it's like, oh, that's fun. Now we get to play a game here. I didn't just drag my family over to Kellogg's so that I can go run by myself. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so like, no, they got to have fun, too, and everything. So that uh, yeah. that was also a great energy boost and it was, yeah, really, really fun. So... Anyway, so and the course follows this uh, this trail and it goes right along the river that runs from Walworth to Kellogg and so and the trees are all changing colors, just beautiful as can be. It was also mm-hmm. really sunny out, so it was a slightly cold start, but only for the first quarter mile, and then as soon as you're in the sun, it was just comfortable to be in shorts and a tank top. It was just absolutely perfect. Yeah, and uh, it was a high of 81 that day, I think. I probably finished the race and it was, I think it was still under 70 when I finished. So, um, yeah, just a great running temperature. And I think we were in the like high fifties when I started. So high fifties and sunny. So just ideal. Yeah. Um, yeah. So cruising through there now at mile three, I, uh, uh, all of a sudden my GPS decided to just completely freak out. Now, the unfortunate thing was that, yeah, and I'm running my GPS off my phone because my phone is usually more accurate. If one of them is going to freak out, my watch freaks out before my phone will. So I'm running mm-hmm. off my phone because that uh, um, that tends to, it, it usually is is much more accurate. And I still don't have. Last year when I ran this race, I started my GPS on my watch um, a little while after the start because I forgot to hit the button. So it didn't mm-hmm. calculate any credit for my half marathon PR. So, so I was like, okay, I got to make sure I do that this time. So I started my phone early on purpose because then I can go later and cut it down to the actual start and just do that. Yeah. And, uh, and here full on fails. I'm like just so <laughs> drastically bad. I've never even seen a fail this bad before. It was, it was so crazy. So what happened then is it kept bouncing me all over the place. So at some times 
I'm getting splits in my headphones every 30 seconds. Oh my gosh. Like, like previous mile in 21 seconds, previous mile in two minutes or whatever. And it's just keeps interrupting my music and saying these things like, ah, now I, now I have no idea what pace I'm doing or anything. So at mile five, I then started my watch doing the exact, you know, basically started recording on my watch right at mile five. So I can at least see my mm-hmm. splits and know where the heck I'm actually at. So I ran that, Yeah. but I can't, I'm not going to waste the energy or time to take my phone out, stop it on my phone, you know, and then mm-hmm. put it back again. No. So instead, I just got like this stupid stuff interrupting my music the whole time. And uh, anyway, yeah, completely oh, driving man. me crazy. So, That's so frustrating. Yeah, so that distraction, <laughs> distraction was not helpful, you know. And it was so accurate before that. The first three miles, it was telling me, uh, or first two miles was exactly on. I saw the mile marker, and as I crossed the mile marker, my phone said, would, would, would tell oh, me I'm at the one. Oh, it's so perfect. And then I ran past, and I knew there was a problem. I ran past the three-mile marker, and it didn't say anything. And then I'm like a half mile past the three-mile marker, and it's still not saying anything. And then it, and then it started just talking nonstop. So, <laughs> so according to my GPS, I ran 24 and a half miles and broke several world records. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you're just you're just that kind of shape, man. Yeah, I'm just I'm just that fast. And Strava definitely Strava flagged it. <laughs> like this isn't real. Like yeah, obviously it's not real. So That's anyway, Strava so, sent you a notification saying that the 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 reading was inaccurate. Yeah, yeah. It, it, when I was done, then it got flagged because again I broke like several world records by you know a long ways. So <laughs> you know I again I literally had a twenty second one mile run. You know, like I ran a mile in twenty seconds. You know, <laughs> for some reason it's funny to me that. They w- they have a something in place to like let you know that you are not that fast or that it was, I don't know somebody I, that some something is tracking it within their system to tell you that it was incorrect. I don't know why that's funny to me. I think they do it because you have all kinds of things on Strava where you, where you can compete with other people for different segments and stuff, uh, and it doesn't want to give you this award saying, hey, you're the fastest in this section if it's obvious that you were not actually running or there was an error or something like that. So that way people aren't going out driving a car for this segment. Yeah. You know, of course, you could actually probably pull that off just fine if you just drove slow enough to be realistic. But I, I think that's why, because it, it does actually have, like, it holds records for different distances and stuff. Gotcha. Yeah, so, I, I don't know about that Strava stuff. I'm a, I'm a Garmin guy myself, so I don't, know, yeah. I don't know how all that works. Well, and now, <laughs> obviously, I need to do something like that because my, my current stuff is not working. Yeah, my watch is not accurate. Mm-hmm. My phone's been off several times. Like, And, you know, not like Garmin doesn't screw up sometimes. My friends that have those, they sure seem to be way more consistent. So it's yeah, something that's I, I have, built for that. I don't have near as many issues as, as you have had. Also, Although, to be fair, don't run as far as frequently as you do. But, mm-hmm. so, yeah, that's uh, that's unfortunate. Okay, so, so annoying. Did, wait, wait, did you take out your phone at least to turn it off so you're not hearing this? No, no, because, like, I have it because I, I lock it. Like, I have to take it out of its case and then put it in its pouch because, I mean, having a phone on you while running is so irritating mm-hmm. anyway, too, because it, if you don't have it just right, it bounces around on you and you know, things like that. And so I just didn't want to, yeah. And like, no, as soon as I move it, then I'm going to have more problems, not less. And, and I don't want to full on stop to do this. And while I run, then I'm going to ruin my cadence here. And then I got to get back on. And anyway, 
Totally. So I probably should have just stopped it, but I did. I just let it go. I also thought that maybe when I finish, I at least recorded the time and maybe I can go in and edit it to say, no, but move the line back where it, cause there's some editing you can do after the fact. Oh, okay. And, yeah. uh, so I was hoping I could do that, but you can't edit to that degree. So mostly I can just crop the beginning and end a bit. I can get rid of sections, but I can't move sections to make it more accurate. Oh, so, bummer. Yeah, it's too bad. But I was hoping at least I got the data, so then I can go and fix that. Uh, yeah. The one thing it was good for is at least it was telling me what my overall time was, because since I stopped my watch, or since I started my watch at mile five, I still did not know where I was at as far as what's my time looking like for finishing time. So right. at least when it pop yeah. up and tell me that I'm at, you know, that I'm at whatever mile it's making up at that point, but it was telling me you have been running for this long. And that was my only way of knowing that because I didn't have a stopwatch going. So anyway, so that was helpful. So at least I look at a mile marker and remember, oh, okay, about, you know, a minute ago it said it was, I was at this pace or this time. <laughs> and then I can calculate the paces and do all that stuff. So, oh my gosh, so now you're having to do like math during your race. Yeah, which uh, for me, we're talking about this before also, but for me, it's good. You know, like I, that's, that's that is a nice, yeah, it is helpful for my brain to just be, have some other distraction like that. We're just sitting there doing that and you forget that you're running. So yeah. Uh, anyway, so yeah, mile seven started that, that uphill point then and uh, that out and back uphill and just felt great. Just cruising up there um, and uh, and didn't push the uphill, but I knew how long it was this time. So that was really nice. So I just took, kept nice long strides. I didn't shorten the strides at all. I just kept nice long strides. Just cruised up the hill. And then when I turned around to come down, I'm really going to, you know, I'm going to drop down to like low sixes down this hill and just kind of let gravity really take me. And it yeah. turned around and started to go and it didn't feel downhill like at all. And, uh, and the first part it isn't that steep, but as it got steeper now, still felt the same, like, okay, I'm, I'm in rougher shape right now than I thought I was, you know, like I, oh, I'm, no. uh, so this is, so now I'm at mile eight and, uh, and heading down and like, okay, this is going to be a challenge because I should mm-hmm. feel like I'm falling down this hill and I don't, I feel like I'm working down this hill still at, um, you know, seven to seven thirty pace somewhere in there. But anyway, so that was the first time. Got to the oh, bottom, got gosh. a ninety degree, got a ninety degree left turn at the bottom of the hill. So went through that and then tried to take like three fast steps to get right back in into my pace again, and yeah. they weren't there. <laughs> they just weren't there. <laughs> Turned the corner, like slowly got back in the pace, but everything in me was like, okay, three fast, three fast steps, and then you're right back, and uh, the energy wasn't there. I'm like, oh man, oh, man. okay. That's not good, you know, so still cruising along, um, and, uh, but still dead on. I'm, I'm just at 730s, so, you know, yeah. still right where, you know, so I was starting at 630, then I was like at 7s for a little while, and then dropped back to 730s, and like, that's, but that's not a bad place to be. Real, really, yeah. if in the end I was anything sub-8 with the condition I'm in currently, I'm happy, you know. Yeah. And I, I wanted to be under the 140 mark, but as long as I'm sub-8 minutes, I'm happy, so... Yeah, not too worried about it. So anyway, so I'm still there, but I'm like, the 730s would be, that'd be a nice pace. At least that's more enjoyable. As soon as you get closer to eights, um, it tends to get a little bit more pounding. And so I really want mm-hmm. it to be a little quicker where it's still smoother. And um, so anyway, just cruising along there. And I just stayed static right there. And then 
the other fun thing about this race is then at mile 10, they start a 5K from mile 10. So we all finish okay. at the same place. So when I see the so when I see the 5K, a cool thing I, I did last year and I did this year too is like, okay, now I just got to run a 5K. Right. You know. So I've done this. Now race a now race a 5K. So I, I ran 10 did a 10 mile warm up. <laughs> now race a 5K, and yeah. felt that boost from just that mentality change. Uh, and last year I felt that boost from that mentality change, so I came to the very last hill. So I thought I'm just gonna do the same thing. I'm just gonna take off here and just stride it out. Maybe drop down to low sevens. And then, and mm-hmm. then see if I can maintain. So anyway, so for mile 10 to mile 11, felt that boost of like, yeah. cool, we're almost there. You can always run a 5K, right? I mean, they, they, they take, yeah. you know, what? In my head, they take 15 minutes. Of course, they don't. Of course. And they never have. <laughs> but it's always like, you just got to run. You got 15 minutes left. That's, of course, you can go 15 minutes, you know. <laughs> yeah. Still, yeah, exactly. Even close to those times. But that's what's in my head. And... um so I did that, and I made it a mile with that energy boost, and then things just shifted quick. All of a sudden, every time I go below 7.30 pace, I feel like I'm going to puke, like I'm really going to. Something in my tummy is not right, you know, and it was sitting high, like that's, you know, like I was burping yeah. something, and I don't mm-hmm. even know what, because like I haven't eaten in a long time now at this point, and I haven't right. drank any water for the run at all. Like, I know there's nothing in there. I shouldn't, why am I burping right now? So that's doing that. And then another, and I'm just feeling, and so at seven 30, I'm fine. As soon as I like just stride out a little more, Nope, I'm going to have to stop and puke if I do, if I do that. And oh, I'm man. starting to breathe pretty hard at this point. My legs are starting to feel kind of numb. Like I just, I can't tell what they're doing. I can't really tell them what to do anymore. Like it all yeah. unwound so quick at mile 10, I'm feeling pretty good. You know, I can tell, tell the energy's gone, yeah. you know, but mile 11, my will to go on was shot. Like just, Oh no, this is, this is miserable. I can't get this to go. I might throw up. And then the whole stomach thing shifted lower. I'm like, Oh crap. You know, now am I going to have diarrhea on this thing? Do I have to find a bathroom? Yeah. My find if, Real honestly, if I start to find a bathroom right now, I'm not finishing. I'm calling Christy. She can come get me. But I'm not going to go yeah. a mile and a half after that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, no, that's, that is, I am just done. Just because I just didn't have it in me at all at that point. Right. So mile 11, everything's falling apart on me. My stomach's hurting. Everything's in rough shape. So <laughs> anyway, and I'm just trying to keep going. So I get through mile 11 and just, man, my, my will to keep going was just not there. It was a guy I was running near and, uh, you know, and I'm in the top, I think I got 25th or so. So I'm, you know, right in that range. And, uh, so everyone I'm running with is all, you know, they're, they're quick and stuff. And I had a guy I was running with was in really, really good shape and he kept getting ahead of me and then walking and I'd catch him. And then he'd get ahead of me again, then walking. Like he was also shutting down. Clearly it was getting hard yeah. where he's like, okay, I'm going to need a short break here. So, yeah, so anyway, yeah, so he kept going through that, and I'm feeling the same, but also feeling like if I walk now, um, that's going to be – I'm not getting going again. So I have yeah, to keep yeah. this going. I can't can't take a break, you know, and um, so I'm just going and going. And then even passing, like, aid stations, like, okay, do I need water? No, don't put water in there. It's just going to get worse. Yeah. So yeah. let's not do that. And – uh so, yeah, so just continued through, and, um, but yeah, I just started, yeah, man, it was feeling horrible. Then 
I get into, then I hit, you know, mile. So I just finished. So then, yes, that was mile 11, mile 12, um, or just that, you know, going into mile 12, then also feeling worse, (laughs) just undoing, you know, and we're going into like now they're going into the last mile. And so last mile is a half mile of still down and then a half mile of a real hard hill. And I know I've got this hill coming up, but I'm like, I can't, I'm too late to now reserve anything for it. So I can't do anything with that. So now I just got to go. Like I just got to hang in there and make this work. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so I do just, so I get to the, so I get to now I've got a half mile left, get through that corner. And this year, now the hard thing about these corners is because it goes through a downtown area, it does also, it goes, um, it turns corners. So you're going up a hill. Then it t- t- turns a corner, then goes up another hill, then turns another corner, goes up a hill. So you don't know how long you got. You can't see the top of the hill. So before this race this time, I counted the corners. I know I've got five corners to the finish line. So oh, man, anyways, I turn first corner, start up the hill. So there's one. Okay, that goes up around, and, and I just put my head down. I look about 10 feet in front of me, and I'm just like, dude, we're going 10 feet at a time. That's it. You're not looking higher than this, and you're just counting the corners. Mm-hmm. And when you get to the fifth corner – then you know you get to go downhill, and then you're going to lose anything you've got to get this little downhill to the finish line real quick. And uh, just kept pushing up this thing. I had two guys blow by me like I'm standing still, like they were ready for this hill. And then a few other people that were also just undone, and now they're walking. <laughs> it's past them. Yeah. So we just got like this. Everyone's in different stages for how well they prepared for this part. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so, but I'm just like, just stay steady. I don't care how fast you're going. Just go faster than walking. That's all that matters right mm-hmm. now. And look 10 feet ahead. So I just kept doing it and doing it and doing it. And then finally came around last corner was coming down a hill and then looked down at the finish line and just went as fast. You know, was pumping my arms like crazy just to try and get some momentum going. And I definitely picked up my pace. I probably got down to like six minute pace for that, you know, 150 meters. Right. And, um, you know, got through the finish line and was stumbling through the finish line and like oh my God. not in an okay place. Like it was, that was literally it. And, uh, and felt like the, the only time I've pushed this hard before was doing that four by four by 48, um, a couple of years ago. I was just going to so, ask if it was similar to that. That's really funny. The, the, the type of pushing had to be similar to that, which is weird. I've never felt yeah. that in, in an endurance race before. Um, Mm-hmm. So in a regular race, yeah, I've never felt the that, and then kind of like that emotional breakdown afterwards. Even yeah. like that wasn't that didn't really happen. You could feel it like trying to happen, and yeah, uh, yeah and just kind of a little bit just full on delirium by the end. And uh, oh, yeah, it was really, yeah, it was something else. So yeah, got through that, and then I just had to like sit and not talk for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Sat, hung out, sipped on Gatorade for a, quite a long time, and uh, yeah, yeah, and it, and it took me out, and, and it was hard. The rest of the day was then hard, you know, where yeah. like, oh, that was that was so difficult on me, and I think I don't think it was as physically difficult as it was mentally difficult, where mm-hmm. you know I think the fatigue from having bad sleep and all of that stuff was all just like you can only do so much. And, um, yeah, yeah, definitely at the end of what, of what I had, um, yeah, there was, there was not anything left after that. 
you know, and, and in hindsight, you're always like, oh, well, maybe I could have done this, this. And I, even now I'm trying to, like, resist the temptation to be like, I could have done another mile. No, I really couldn't. No, that no, was it. That you were done. <laughs> so, I was really, really done. And it, it might have gotten dangerous had I needed another mile. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Man, what do you think you could have done? Uh, I mean, obviously you could have, uh, you know, prepared better and whatnot. But um, as far as your your training plan, looking back, like, are there there days leading up you could have done done differently or weeks leading up like obviously aside from the ideal training you know you yeah. could have had like there was the actual plan yeah but aside from that could you do you think there was any um any changes in hindsight that you could have made to the plan i think was what i had to work with this year i i think this is just what it was and I, that yeah. was kind of a nice thing about it too where yeah it wasn't um i wasn't really excited or proud of how I did, I also wasn't mm-hmm. disappointed in how I did. It was just, this is yeah. an accurate representation of where I'm at. And I, I think I pushed right. as hard as I could for what I had, and this is what I had. And um, and I think I trained very well for the time that I had to do it. I could have, of course, done more. Mm. If I can't train more, then this is what you're going to get with this amount of training. And, yeah. and actually, I felt really good with how I did, because I ended up at uh, 138. Mm-hmm. And um, and my average pacing for the whole race was 7:30 on the dot, and uh, that's great. I'm really, yeah, I'm really happy with that. And uh, yeah, and I, I felt for for how much work I had put in, that was that was actually still really really good. So yeah, um, yeah. So I don't I don't have any complaints at all. I was like, well, of course I fell apart of mile 11. You know, I've only ran <laughs> that much distance. You know, since since spring, I've only run further than that one time, <laughs> you yeah. know, so I'm not I wasn't properly trained to go that much distance, really. And especially at the and, and at those speeds. So, yeah, yeah, it just now, wasn't it wasn't fair. Yeah. A week ago, you did your your five mile loop twice. You did 12 miles. Do you think that was potentially too close to the race? I don't think so. I felt fully recovered. Okay. From that. Yeah. Cool. No, I think, yeah. I think a week away was real good. Well, and then that was something mm. I was thinking about is, so they always train us. And I think this might be, it'd be interesting if you have some insight on this, but um, generally training, all training now follows what they, what became standard for marathon training. With marathon training, um, you never run 26 miles. Right. You know, you run up to like, uh, you know, you might hit like 22 miles or something like that. And I don't know. I haven't done actual marathon training, but I've watched friends do it and heard about the training. I've seen a lot of training plans. And so you do that and now, and then about two weeks before the race and my timing might be off to, you know, someone that knows more about that can correct me, but, um, uh, but about two weeks before the race, you start tapering, you know, where you run way slower and you drop your mileage way back. You still run. So your legs keep moving, but you're, but you back way off of your training for a couple of weeks and uh and then you do it and i remember people telling me that some of the idea behind that is that uh first of all that our bodies can't sustain running 26 miles uh over and over again and mm-hmm. that we and that you need to recover you need your legs to be ready and that's how the best way to make them fresh um mm-hmm. and then i'm not convinced that's true especially and i'd be i'd love to hear someone's thoughts on people that are now doing because it was you know, 20 years ago, 26 miles is about the first you ever heard of anyone running. And yeah. now you have people doing distances way beyond that. And, 
And it makes me then wonder if the thoughts on tapering, because we sure didn't do that in high school. You know, we would consider yeah. race day as race days your hard is one of your two hard days during the week, right? Yep. Yeah, you know, yeah. you have a speed day, you got race day, and then we and then in between, of course, you're doing recovery days. But mm-hmm. um, anyway, well, here, it makes you wonder if that's my, necessary. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's my quick thought on that: is high school high school preparation for racing is so different than college, which is then even different from elite because you're you're not looking for a singular performance in high school. You're looking for an, an aggregate total performance that can get you to either your team to advance or you yourself to advance to the more important races, right? So like if you're if you are you know a state if you're a, if you're a two miler that you are fairly confident you're going to go to state, then you might be able to back off times a little bit and have reserves, assuming that you're confident that you can make all of the qualifying races or up into the qualifying races, but you're going to have to, you're not, you're not saving the reserves like you might for the, uh, an elite runner might where they're like, they're preparing a year for a singular race and everything else, all the other races up until then is just like practice, you know, where you're going not a hundred percent exertion. You're, you're doing your, you know, 80% exertion. So I think there's, there's some of that where it depends on what level you are and how often you have to perform because a high school runner, you're having to go all out every race unless you are, I mean, the top three in the state or country where you know you don't have to. Right. And so I think like, obviously my training in college was so different, but we would, um, we would start tapering before conference championships. We would start tapering our workouts um, about two weeks prior, about maybe three weeks mm-hmm. prior, actually, where they would start, we would start backing off. And then the week leading up to a, a, a you know, a conference championship would be, um, you know, we'd be running 10 sixties, Obviously, we're talking sprinting now, so change gears mentally for you. Um, we're doing 1060s at, like, maybe 70%. You know, we're doing a hard stride, keeping our legs mm-hmm. lead, and that's it. You know, like, not breathing hard at all, just keeping flow going. And so, um, but, I mean, long distances, half, half marathons and marathons, I, I know that things have definitely changed. I'm sure the research has changed since you know, you and I were younger and I don't know what people are doing these days with, uh, with like you're saying that so many people doing um, ultra marathons and doing such long distances. But I remember learning long time ago that it takes a month, an entire month for your body to completely recover from a marathon. Mm-hmm. So that would support the idea of a marathon's training where you wouldn't want to run that far at that much exertion, you know, ever in the, in the training plan, because you wouldn't sure. you need the time to build, build back up. And also I think Kate, um, in, uh, well, energy and intention behind your race is a big deal because we talk about ultra marathoners, you know, running their, you know, 50 miles, hundred miles, whatever it is. And you know, that my beef with that is if you're not running, it's not a run. 
If you have to walk during a run, <laughs> right. I don't consider that a run, which I understand the flaws in that, but that's kind of my hard take on it. And and so you have the you have the elite guys that do run the entire time of an ultra marathon, and that well, one their fitness level is different, but they also I wonder what their training plan is when they're actually doing that. How often are they not running ultras? Like it that? makes me really wonder because uh, well, so here's the the bigger picture that I see then is all training plans then have this long tapering period, even when it's shorter distances and. What I felt was following the plan that I had. Yeah, 12 miles was the first I was going to run. Um, but what? there's nothing wrong with my body, especially two weeks ago or three weeks ago, mm-hmm. uh, putting in 14 or 15 miles instead. You know, I can yeah, recover I, from that just fine. And, yeah, uh, and, usually, and, and make it so the 13 feels slow. Feel, just make the 13 feel short, you know. And if I was running a 5K, that's what I'd do. I'd definitely go out and race mm-hmm. seven miles. <laughs> a few weeks prior so that 5k felt like oh no problem you know i just got and run for a second yeah i don't i don't have any anything against going a further distance as long as the the uh the pacing is correct like i i right. actually agree with what you just said i think going further than the race you're intending to do at the correct point in the training plan is the right thing to do as long as you're not like going fast you need to be going at like 70 percent or something you know around around that point which is what i did with that 12 mile you know last mm-hmm. weekend i would have wanted it to yeah. be if i was going to go if i was going to go further distance than that i would want that to be more like two weeks ago maybe mm-hmm. yeah but For i do sure. think i, I mean, think i'm going to adjust my plan yeah next half marathon training i think i'm going to adjust the plan to put in some really long mileage um, you know, do yeah, three, you know, three or four miles longer than whatever my race is a couple, you know, maybe a month before. And, uh, well, cause that mental block. You... It, yeah. Good. Oh, well, I fixed the, the speed mental block. I fixed with the 10, the 10, eight hundreds. Right. So that, that is why I fell into six thirty pace and was just comfortable. Mm-hmm. Like this just feels yeah. good, you know? Totally. And didn't and it wasn't tired. I wasn't breathing hard because my body's like, yeah, we can just do this. Not a big deal, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I already fixed that block there, but I didn't fix the distance block. And nowhere in my training was there the ability to fix that distance block, in my opinion. Yeah. 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 Totally. I th- um, your and if you look back to your high school days, those workouts you were doing, you were train. You're. I mean, what is a what is a cross country high school race at the longest? It's three five k five. It's a five k, right? It's yeah, much longer than yeah, three five k. Right? It's, yeah. it's either a three mile or a three point one. That's it. Yeah, and your trainings are routinely fourteen miles a day, right? Yeah, between ten to fourteen. You know, especially if you're doing your morning runs, because you're yeah, you're That's running. Because you guys least... would do one in the morning and one at night often yeah at least at least three every morning and then at night yeah. it was real normal that we'd be somewhere between you know seven to eleven once you count warm-ups warm downs all that stuff exactly. you know, it yeah was, so usually yeah, seven to eleven and that's coming from one of the best distance coaches in the country so why would and you not our just mileage extrapolate was, that further 
and our mileage was low compared to what some other schools did too. So that was something that, yeah. uh, you know, Tyson would talk about a lot is, and, and now, you know, it's always so long ago, so I have trouble remembering perfectly, but, uh, yeah. you know, we'd have school, the other schools in town that would have like three really, really good guys. It seemed like, mm-hmm. okay, those were the three guys that could handle the mileage that they were putting on them and, and would mm-hmm. do well. And then a lot of the other team, couldn't handle that. So then they never could perform quite like that. And Tyson was always trying to get all hundred of us to be, you know, the fastest. <laughs> so, yeah. so you didn't have to have the genetic makeup that just can handle that training. You know, he, he was trying to help us all be able to do it. And so because of that, yeah. our mileage was a little bit lower, but we also didn't have the stress fractures. We didn't have the injuries that a lot of other teams had. Um, mm-hmm. And yet still, yeah, you know, 10 to 14 miles a day is still, that's, you know, that's pretty high mileage. Well, and even, yeah, I mean, that is true that your the mileage is often dependent upon the individual and you can't, you can't generalize that to everybody. I mean, when you hear uh, our, our grandpa who coached Jerry Lindgren, um, a phenomenal high school runner, and he, the mileage he was putting in was insane. It, it was way yeah. too much. And even, and I think I've even heard grandpa say that it was way too much, but that was more of a environmental and mental break for him as a runner, not, not a physical training plan as much. Well, and there were a number of guys you hear stories about during that, that time period in the sixties and seventies, a lot of the best runners were guys that would go out and just do you know, three, four times that everyone else is doing. I mean, yeah, just like mm-hmm. mileage that would break most people and they yeah. just go out and do it anyway. And, uh, you know, yeah. and I think maybe that's the breakdown of like, you know, some people are built different and yeah, they, I know, you know, I think where completely true. Yeah. Where I do think we all can, I, I think most humans can be good endurance athletes. I think in, in our, you know, the basics of how humans are made can be good endurance athletes. That doesn't necessarily mean just because this guy can handle 200 miles a week, <laughs> that, you know, or whatever, you know, it doesn't mean we all can do that without our bones starting to break, you know, and uh, yeah, some people definitely there's varying degrees of what people can handle as far as um, how much abuse their bodies can take. Yeah. And they're, they're obviously, we all know there is such a thing as overtraining, but a lot of people experience even on a, at a high level. I, I, uh, had a, um, wasn't a, a rival, <laughs> not a rival. He was a little better than me. Still kind of a rival though. Um, but a, a kid I, I would pull up against in nemesis. college and he, and a, a nemesis that I wasn't going to beat. Yeah. I mean, I think that Jack, we were, we were in the same category. He was, he just was always a tiny bit above me. Um, mm-hmm. like he would win conference and I would, place mid-level at conference you know anyway he mm-hmm. um but i remember talking to him this is years after college and he was talking about he's a multi-event college athlete so he would do the pole vault and um i think you do the decathlon and then he would also so do the decathlon which is 10 events and then he would open do the high jump the pole vault and i think a running event even i don't remember there she would do a ton of stuff and so the coaches had him on this just insane training plan until his i want to say his senior year where he put his foot down and he was like i i'm not i'm just not doing anything that you're telling me to do anymore 
He's like, he, mm-hmm. he, he more or less worked with, I think, just one of his coaches. I think it's pole vault coach and came up with what their training plan was going to be and told the head coach and everyone else just, I'm, I'm not doing it. Like, this is what I'm doing. I'm being yeah. overtrained. I'm working too hard. My body needs more rest. And then his senior year, like his numbers did awesome. Like, he, I mean, he was scoring so many points for the team as it was. They kind of had to let him make that decision. And, and he felt great. Um, mm-hmm. Another, another decathlete that I uh, trained with at, at Eastern, he, I mean, he was taking so many anti-inflammatory, like ibuprofen was like candy for him. And uh, same thing, yeah. senior year, stopped stopped the decathlon and just went to single event focus. And he's like, I feel amazing. Like, finally, he's not breaking his body down every single, you know, every three weeks when there's a big event. Um, so we know that overtraining is, is a huge aspect. But, man, some guys, they just need that ridiculous training split. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, well, that's uh, two things there, but one, one is you do see that happen in track and people that you know, are doing multiple events. You then have multiple coaches and all the coaches there, they want you to do the best in their event and every event, it needs a full-time training regiment for that event. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And, yeah. and I wasn't one that did that. Re- I mean, I did that a little bit like in junior high for a second, but you know, I, my, yeah. I was always doing just distance ones. So my training basically was the same. Uh, even when mm-hmm. I, you know, I was doing multiple events, they were all similar events, but, yeah. uh, yeah, but, but yeah, you know, I watched you do that a little bit with doing, you know, you had, yeah, you had running, you know, sometimes multiple running events and pole vaulting and, uh, and at least they were all sprinting. So again, in the vicinity of each other, but it'd be yeah, easy really- to over train. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and I guess especially with pole vaulting, you have a lot of upper body work, but upper body work is really helpful for sprinting too. But but I can see when you have three coaches and they all want you to be the best at their event, <laughs> then all of a sudden, right. you're, yeah, you're being pulled all kinds of directions. Yeah, I can't imagine if I, was, if I stayed with pole vaulting, like if I ever could figure out how to do that thing, and then, and then was distance running, it'd be like, okay, those two things would be very opposed to each other, and it'd be hard to be good oh, at either one of them. Yeah. That's a blows me away with like the athletes where they're doing, you know, they'll go from a pole vault or a high jump with, which is a very explosive, short discipline. And then they have to go run a mile, you know, yeah. which is short in distance terms, but not short as far as sprinting goes, you know, might be why most of them aren't very good at that. So, I mean, they're, you know, <laughs> yeah. oftentimes they're, I mean, as a decathlete, you do have to be so well-rounded. Obviously, you're not going yeah. to be the best. You might have an event or two that you're yeah. really exceptional at, and the other ones you're pretty darn good, you know. And uh, But we got to go and help with uh, one of the races for the Olympic trials. And this is back – do you remember the ads for uh, Dan and Dave? They were both Reebok athletes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Dan and, uh, and Dave uh, – I don't remember. We Dave don't know who Dave is anymore because he didn't, he didn't <laughs> make the pole vault. <laughs> But he didn't. It was. It was really. You know, pole vault. I mean, you know better than me. I watched enough of it and did it just a teeny bit. But man, pole vaulting is so rough because you have a bad day. Now you don't get to go to the Olympics, and yeah. you know because you couldn't go that extra three inches that you can go in your sleep. But today it doesn't work. 
And uh, yeah, man, I remember watching that happen. I remember watching live because they did. They hyped up Dan and Dave so much that so we were going to have our, you know, we we're going to have our gold and silver, and we weren't sure which one we're going to be which. But those two guys were the best, yep. is what the way Reebok at least was advertising it that way. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and I remember watching that, and uh, and Dave didn't make eighteen feet, and mm-hmm. uh, and that and at that level. That shouldn't have been hard. And I remember the news saying at the time, like, that's not a hard height for him at all. And, yeah, uh, yeah didn't make that, didn't go to the Olympics. And Well, uh, and w- what's frustrating for Polkin specifically is, I mean, I don't know who, I can't speak to his, his specific jump, but those, those misses, especially even at a, at a relatively low height, even though 18 feet is not a, not a low height for most yeah. people, <laughs> right. it, you can track that back to, his arm wasn't placed over his head directly over his head. It was off to the side by an inch or his right. planting foot that he jumps off of was too far in front three inches or too far behind three. Inches. You know, like it's such a polding is such an exact event that a huge problem, especially the higher you go, the huge problem can happen by a very small change. I mean, when I had had a huge fall in college, where I knocked myself out and I think I was out for like 45 seconds. I a really mm-hmm. bad fall. And it was all because my, my right arm, my top hand, when you leave the ground was off to the side a little bit, it wasn't straight over my body. And so that led to a just cascading events and that ended up me falling and hitting my head on the stand on the way down and getting a concussion. And like, it's, it, it's unfortunate that a, such a small thing can go so terribly bad in pole vaulting. Well, it makes me wonder too, is how, how many things I know in, in other sports that I do, if I'm a little bit sore in a different way, in a different spot, then all of a sudden my body does not move to the exact same locations that it would yesterday. And how often is mm-hmm. that? How often did something yesterday tweak something just a teeny bit or let's say you listed slightly harder a few days before mm-hmm. now you're kind of sore so now your elbow doesn't move in like it used to you know you'd have to force it yeah and now when you're in that flow state your body's just going where it's supposed to right and now but you have a slight mobility restriction and now you don't and now like in your case with that fall all of a sudden could have been catastrophic yeah i, I mean, mean you were yeah, I remember watching. You were you were half inch from that being game over. Um, the only reason I didn't break my back, I'm convinced of, is because I knocked myself out on the way down. So when I hit, yeah. I I landed on this small metal track, like an eighth of an inch thick, right on my spine. In the video, you can kind of see my body go limp about halfway down. Yeah. Um, because I was out long enough for, um, I think Dad was in the stands and. So out long enough for him to realize something was bad, I'm not getting up, and then to cross the track and make it all the way over to where I was. Because when I woke up, he was there. Mm-hmm. So that's a good, like, minute, probably, 45 seconds yeah. to a minute or so. Um, and and we weren't he, very low in the stands at the time either. So Right. We were, yeah. You, yeah, we were, we were up there a little ways. Yeah, I mean, and just the, the – the smallest things can um, can have a very very big uh, damaging effects, um, especially when it comes to uh, something as specific as pole vault. 
Um, mm-hmm. I don't remember why we were talking about that though. Oh, because uh, um, because of just like you're a little bit more sore that day. You know, we we're talking about. Oh, oh that's, that's yes. there you go. Thank Cause, you. Because Dan and Dave, yes. where Dave, you know, Dave had yeah, he had a bad day and then go to the Olympics. That's it. And not even a horrible, right. a slightly bad day. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember watching well, and, you do that several times where heights that you could do in your sleep, all of a sudden, like things didn't line up that day. So now you can't do that height today, you know, tomorrow, maybe you could, maybe the next day you could, but today it just doesn't line up right. And then all of a yeah, sudden no. it's a difference between making a height or not making a height. It's not like the rest of us running where it's like, Oh, I had an off day. So I'm two seconds slower. You know, it's yeah. it's so much more in some of those field events to where, you know, because you have an actual standard of I hit this height or I don't. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know, two seconds, two two inches lower doesn't mean like, oh, slightly off. No, you actually just now didn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't you didn't achieve the thing you're trying to. Yeah. And, and especially for me, I was I was so um I had so many mental blocks when it came to pole vaulting and not necessarily, I had some true mental blocks, but also mental blocks as far as um, just unpreparedness mentally. Uh, Because my, my highest I went in college was um, my freshman year. And I had never went that height again in a meet, Mm -hmm. but I was on pace to, I mean, I was on, I was on pace to hit Olympic trials. I well, and you uh, kept I, hitting heights like that in practice. You kept hitting no high ones in practice. Yeah, and then when it, then when it was like, yeah, when it was important, something was off that day, and it just didn't work. Yeah. And yeah, that was smallest little things. At that time in college, Olympic uh, qualifying was seventeen four, and I remember there's there's one specific day where I did seventeen six. Um, in mm-hmm. practice, but yeah, in a meet, I just didn't have the, I didn't put enough preparation um, into the the visualizations and kind of what you're doing with your running into the, pre- the preparation of environment, of visualizing the correct mental state and the correct environment and walking through all the technical steps and spending that extra time. You know, I did, I I showed up to practice, I worked out as hard as anybody else, I kept up. I made sure I was always in the top or near the top of all of my workouts. But once practice was done, that was it. You know, I put no effort into anything beyond that. I would either go home and and eat or play some music or go skateboard. Like my mind was then shut off of pole vaulting as if it didn't exist until the next day when I had to do it again. And that, to me, that that's what made my whole career unsuccessful was I just wasn't interested in taking the step to make it serious. I did it enough to keep my scholarship. Um, but I, I didn't achieve close to what I know I had the potential to because I just wasn't there, but going back to imbalances, what amazing thing that I've learned over the years now becoming a, a trainer and working with clients is all of the, um, all of the little things that like, like you're saying that can change your gait slightly uh, and have such profound effects that you just don't even notice. You just like, you feel kind of off and, and it can change the way your foot strikes and the way you push and the amount of uh, uh, force you have, but, but behind each stride, 
um, so quickly on something that you might even notice, not even realize is wrong. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, um, I, uh, it's, it's really interesting. I've noticed that so many times, and one that kind of goes back to the ten eight hundreds. Same thing, right? You <laughs> do this other thing, <laughs> and then all of a sudden it makes this other thing all of a sudden work better because you trained this other thing way harder and broke down something mentally, broke down something physically, and all of a sudden you have this, this, uh, you know, your stride elongates. So now I don't have to feel like I'm running as fast to run faster, and yeah. uh, or even taking Christie's kickboxing class where the warming up mm-hmm. is tons of bouncing. And when do you do that yeah. in real life? And I realize I probably don't uh, in me in my running training, I probably don't work out my calf enough in order to have that launch from, uh, you know, in order to make my stride longer. So then I'm working too hard because I'm hitting the ground so much. I got that high turnover speed at seven minute miles and I can mm-hmm. actually have a slower turnover speed and run six minute miles. You, you know, if I just, worked on making, you know, getting, getting my calf in a little better shape. So I have a little more launch yeah. to the next step. So my steps a little bit longer, um, just things like that. You know, I accidentally found that because I just was doing this class to support Christy. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden like, Oh, Whoa, that's, that is a different thing there. And noticing the, like on all that bouncing, warming up, I'm just dying because I don't do that. My calf is not in <laughs> shape to sit there and bounce. It's just killing me. Christy's of course doing just fine. Cause you know, she bounces like she weighs 10 pounds, but, yeah, um, yeah. but you know, it, it, so it just, it just, yeah, that was so hard for me, but it, you know, was that developing that thing, doing a different thing that's not running made it. So then running at higher speeds was way more effortless and just putting mm-hmm. that together. Yeah. It's, so it's such a, a big thing that we don't do as we get older, like little things we take for granted of yeah, being on our toes and, and working our calves when we're little just happens all the time. But as we get older, we just, we don't do it as, uh, as near as often. And I'm careful not to actually train my calves too much. Cause it's real easy to overwork them and then not be able to walk for a week, you know? Mm-hmm. So like just doing like, <laughs> just doing your, um, what do you call those? What do you call it when you put your toes on something and you lift up? Calf, calf raises. There we go. What, what's the thing that you use your calf and then you raise? <laughs> what words do you use to put that together? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for but, a, a thing that works my biceps kind of like in a, I don't know, in a curling action. I wonder a what curling motion? Yeah, what would, I don't I don't know. You're the pro, so you probably know what those are called. Um, but no, so those things, like I, I've done those before holding like, you know, 20-pound dumbbells or something like that. So I don't feel like I'm doing anything. And while I'm working, I'm out doing it. I also still feel like I'm not doing anything. It feels totally fine. Yeah. And then the next day, I now literally can't walk. <laughs> yeah. So then, so then I get scared to train them at all because, like, well, I don't want to not be able to walk for days. <laughs> and so, which is, is no different than unfortunately the opposite of what you should be doing because all that means, and I honestly am <laughs> in the same category as you, it means you should just be training your calves more consistently. Um, yeah. But yeah, but that fear, the the fear sets in of, of that you don't want to ruin something or you don't want to, to affect your running plan or whatever you have going on. So I'm trying to do some of those training things uh, at times when, um, so like in the off season. So when I'm not training mm-hmm. for something specific and I don't have, I don't have a deadline that's coming up too quick. So yeah. when I, when I have a far off deadline, then I want to do the, like the hard leg day training, you know? So same mm-hmm. thing, like I also 
I'll do squats, but I do squats really light. Uh, I do a little bit higher rep, really low weight, because if I don't do that, again, I could accidentally overwork. And and then again, like the next day I can't walk right. Now all of a sudden I can't do the run I'm supposed to do tomorrow. And it throws everything off. I still do them in order to keep yeah. my mobility basically, but I don't do them to try and get stronger at all. Yeah. And uh, which you I mean, I should do on your on your out of season training. You know, you should go heavier with those type of lifts to get your legs stronger, and then back off when you get into an actual training or when you get into like out of the first phase of the training program. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited for race season ends next week. Basically. I don't think, mm-hmm. I don't think I have, a, you, know, you never know some, a fun race might pop up and I might just like go and do it on a whim, but yeah, um, yeah. like, I'll probably do like the Turkey trot or something like that. But the, as far as races, I like really care about and enjoy. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wild moose chases next weekend. And so that's a 10 K in Riverside state park, some pretty serious Hills, really fun trail run. So, uh, that's next week. And, uh, but, and that one also like, again, I'm not trained to kill it there, you know, but right. I'm just going to go and really enjoy it. And, yeah. uh, but once that ends, then it's gonna be fun to go and like, go fix some of these things where I struggled this year. And I struggled this year. I had yeah. weaknesses in, uh, my hills were, were really, really weak this year. Mm-hmm. And so, so I'm excited to go and actually like, yeah, work on the squats real hard, you know, work on those calves, do that stuff. And not bad for getting into getting ready for snowboard preparation too. Is, right. Um, yeah. No, it's perfect. You know, for that. Yeah. So start, you know, so after next week, start kind of beefing up a little bit. I wouldn't mind putting on another five pounds and, um, yeah. you know, and, and do a lot of, a lot of heavier weight. And mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, and work on that explosiveness, maybe even do the stair climber quite a bit. So that'd be something that I really yeah, like. Yeah, Good. But yeah, my but yeah, my thought is with those that the you know the the stair climber thing sure seems to help with with simulating hill running, you know, or the really steep hill running. And uh, anyway, so throwing that in there too. But again, it's not a thing that I get too sore from, so I so I so I shy away from it when I'm when I have an event coming up. Totally. Well, I mean, as you should, all of the, the heavy strength um, lifts you should be doing should be in the in the early stages or prior to your running plan. Like they should they shouldn't happen towards the end anyway. You should be you should be focusing way more on on speed and, and endurance during those phases and doing exactly what you're doing, doing the lifts that you like with lighter weight and higher reps and not worrying about the you know how heavy it is. Yeah, so we'll see how this winter goes, but I think it's time to change that mindset right now into mm-hmm. getting ready for getting ready for that. And uh and I have noticed that getting ready getting in shape for snowboard season has been uh really good for having that focus. And then when you get towards yeah. spring, then starting to put the two together and move back out of it. And I don't think it's a bad yeah. thing at all for my overall my overall fitness seems to work really good with those changes oh, yeah. of focuses. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, next time we get, we should talk a little more about what you what you do intentionally for snowboard season if you do anything. But um, I should probably yeah. get, get bouncing here pretty soon. You don't want to make this a three hour podcast. We could make it a three hour. <laughs> <laughs> so far, I don't think we've actually gone that long. I think it's more uh, <laughs> with all the gas we have. But yeah, I, I gotta I gotta go.